It's office hours. Happy afternoon. Days before we start uh, filming at the win, the TV version of Office Hours, which I'm so excited to be a part of, with my friend Mikey D. Mikey Diamond, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? So good to see you. Sorry, I was just laughing because you guys, I sent him a bunch of links. Like you have time to look through 20 links to get on like a show. Like it was so good. Do it. I it know. So well, it's I'm accountable when I keep things in the 520 rule. Uh, but we have a great guest, a great author here. And, uh, you know, I've been dealing with the different levels of intention. And uh, this book uh, that Haymon has written is Intended Consequences, How to Build Marketing Leading Companies with Responsible Innovation. Um, and I'm going to take it back a step, Haymon. Welcome uh, to Office Hours. Uh, this idea of intention uh, really intrigues me when it comes to responsibility when it comes to accountability and in those levels of intention uh, we have action and a lot of times our actions are not reconciled with our intentions and this causes friction in relationships it causes separation in relationships especially in business and so many people you know i i, I had a great saying with some of the young people i work with I, I that's not what i intended to do i'm like i wish you did mean to do that because then i'd feel good about firing you because <laughs> right? yeah. they have such good intentions um how do you you know reconcile this idea of intention uh in the business world yeah no it's a it's a great question in fact one of the very first questions i always ask founders when i meet them is why did you start this company it's actually the most telling uh question and you know, frankly, we wrote this book to make the case for uh, responsible innovation. It sort of comes down to, you know, innovating with that intentionality and also, you know, to operate with a level of accountability and transparency towards that end goal. So, you know, if you think about what technology does today, we're literally reorganizing content, community, commerce, care, capital online. Well, you can't 10 years later say, oh, I didn't mean to set up the healthcare system uh, the following way, or I didn't mean to set up the online education system the following way. You have to have intention. And these are big responsibilities that yeah. entrepreneurs take on today. So I think intentionality is the theme of the decade uh, for us at General Catalyst. Do you, now, when you talk about responsibility, you're dealing with companies, do you see people, when they, when they lack intention, does it come from having a lack of accountability? Yeah, look, it's it's more complicated than that. Um, building a business is very hard, and you're constantly um, trying to make the trade-offs between short-term uh, decisions and long-term decisions. And the short-term decisions, uh, you know, if they start to dominate how you build uh, for the long-term, then you lose that intention. So I think every time I always advise founders when you're in that world of ambiguity of what we do about X, you have to sort of, you know, go back to what exactly is the long-term goal and what will set us up best for that. And that, that mindset and having the mechanisms that go along with that in company building is, is really what the, the book is focused on, which is what should the product be and how do you measure consequences of this product, not only for on your customer, uh, but also on other stakeholders in society. 
if you have a business model that you choose, uh, are there negative consequences to that? I mean, are you aligning who pays and who benefits? Otherwise, you get advertising in the media world and you get a bankrupt healthcare system in the in the healthcare world, right? So, like, so down the line, every piece of company building, you have to think about uh, these these questions. And it's so interesting because time plays such an interesting factor in technology. So take, for example, you know, Nobel. We are uh, blessed to be the chancellor, chief chancellor of Junior Achievement University Worldwide. We just got nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And most people don't know that Nobel, as a consequence of his innovation, it created the Nobel Peace Prize because at the time he created something that he didn't intended uh, to use his innovation for which was dynamite. And that's how the Nobel Peace Prize was created because the creator of dynamite had great intentions and wanted to re-engineer his intentions when he saw people utilizing it in a manner that he didn't think of. You talk about unscalability and that happens because of time. I, I work personally on stadiums and have been a consultant because I have a technology background on how to utilize technology in a stadium. The problem is, it takes five to seven years to build a stadium. And my technological advice today is not going to be worthwhile tomorrow. Or imagine <laughs> warships, the, the carriers are 17 years to build. They actually have to leave a hole of innovation because they can't budget for what's gonna exist 17 years from now. Yeah. Um, how do we, you know, as venture capitalists, you know, take on this role of responsibility when time and change within the context of technology is so rapid that even our best efforts in radical humility leave us render renderless. I mean, we have to surrender to our ignorance when it comes to technology and innovation. Look, you you, you give a couple of great examples. I mean, I'll, I'll add another one. You know, if if we were all staring at the very first internal combustion engine, we would have said, "Hey, this is going to change the world, but it'll also create climate change." And how would we have gone and built uh, you know, the commercialization of that technology in society? So, so I think I think it happens in terms of you know long technological timelines on the ideas, and so um, uh, and I would also say unintended consequences are called unintended for a reason, right? They they weren't uh, meant at the time. All we can do is again have the processes. Uh, and the mindset and the mechanisms to be looking out for those to say where could things go wrong. Um, you know, uh, as, as a venture capital bet, if somebody's going to go build a product for five, six years, and then we'll see if there's a, a alignment with uh, with the with the customers, uh, lots of risk there. But I think that that uh, may just mean that is that innovation going to take off or not. But uh, if if you once you do have the product out there and it's being deployed at scale, if you're not measuring how it's impacting everybody around you uh, along the way, then sometimes it might just be too late. Like in the case of what we did with social media, and it gets harder and harder to unwind. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the chaos that technology can create if not orchestrated properly uh, for all stakeholders. Wow. So yeah, you really hit on a good point about. So, all right. So here's a good question. So you go down, you go out and you have an idea and your intention's good and you know, you can serve a lot of, of people, but you're halfway through and you don't realize that even though you may be solving a problem, you're actually causing harm. At what point in yourself do you feel, do you pull or do you keep going forward? 
Look, um, this question, probably every technology company that brings automation uh, uh, to any industry should be thinking about right from the beginning, right? So, so we, we, we do a lot of work in healthcare and healthcare has got this really interesting dynamic where on one side, it has this enormous workforce that does things that frankly software should do. Uh, and it'll make the health systems more profitable and healthcare more affordable and all the benefits. On the other side, we don't have enough people that take care of, you know, folks that need uh, behavioral help or folks that are, you know, the elderly in the field or the nursing homes. And, and so there's this mismatch. And so I think uh, the, the thought question to come back to what you were asking is if you're, if you're a company that's bringing that automation, you're actually eviscerating a lot of jobs and, and putting people out of work. Uh, you probably know that from the beginning. The question is, can you also then help those customers have a plan for how yeah. to like retrain that workforce perhaps on the other side? So think about the benefits, but also the consequences that are negative and have a plan to mitigate them. I think that's really the point. It's not about abandoning the ideas because you're certainly helping certain stakeholders to the father. The question is, understanding what are you doing to the other stakeholders and can you address that as well so that you're making forward progress i love that yeah one of the other interesting aspects that i find with intended consequences in understanding innovation is because the speed in which we can innovate um lays something interesting comparatively in history so for example even the pandemic the confidence that we have in innovation of how swiftly we can you know create uh, solutions to a, a pandemic uh, is incredible in a variety of different ways. I, I look at cli uh, climate change, for example, and I, you know, am a big conservationist, uh, sustainable technologies, but only for one reason. I think I'm different than a lot of people. Like, I believe we should have sustainable technologies to buy time. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? I said, well, we're not going to stop people from using plastic. And we're not going to, we're not going to stop people from ruining the 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 earth or the hole in in the atmosphere we're, it's just we're, we're well as you said right there there's no turning back we, we we are going to eventually get to a point where we are going to have the worst to fill it up with junk and we're going to have to figure out how to clog up this hole in our sky we all going to have a serious sunburn so what i know is that we're not going to stop that from happening but we can create an innovation that will fill up the atmosphere back to where it was. It will, you know, maybe convert plastic into, you know, energy, clean energy, speaking out of the ocean now, clean energy with what was ruining the earth and we're now saving the earth. I think entrepreneurs and innovators will save the and sustainable practices are what we need in order to buy the great minds and technology time to fix some of the crap that we ruined. You know, do you look at that as a venture capitalist? Oh, yeah. So, first of all, I hope the scenario you just described sounds like a scary movie. I hope it doesn't manifest itself. But having <laughs> said that, uh, I hope we do conserve as well. I, I really, you know, we've actually done some work in sustainability. It's always about making forward progress towards um, impacting the carbon footprint, but also making us more efficient as a society. The less we consume, the better. Right. So I do, I do think both have to be done, not just to buy time, but also to actually do the right thing by the planet. And all I can tell you, the thing I'm really excited about is there are some incredible entrepreneurs that have started to take this on very seriously. 
and uh, that's going to inspire the next crop of entrepreneurs. And and I look at, are we going to tackle, to your point earlier, are we going to tackle some of these problems successfully or not by seeing the quality of entrepreneurs going into those areas? And it has now started to happen in sustainability. So I, I, I do think we'll, uh, you know, we'll get our arms around how best to tackle this uh, in the next few years. I'm very optimistic, actually. Me too. I agree with you full heartedly and hopefully as well with my full faith. Uh, Heymont, thank you so much for joining us. Join him, generalcatalyst.com, and check out his book, Intended Consequences. It's a must read. Uh, Get some perspective on how we can be responsible with our innovation. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to do more with you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And that was really good. Yeah, good conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. It was just interesting about intention because it made us go both ways. It's complex in a good way. Like, like you said, you can't. You've got to find a balance. There's a lot of distraction, but you've got to still live with that and then find a balance on the other end. It was really good. Yeah, we're going to have a really interesting conversation now. Less serious matters, though. <laughs> uh, we have Jed here, Jed Corenthal. He is with Phoenix Real Time Solution. He's the chief marketing officer and at phoenixrts.com with the super bowl just finishing up and me being in sports for so many years technology is uh, actually the reason lee steinberg hired me most people think it's because you know some great sports agentry skills and knowledge it was truly because i had such a you know formidable technology background uh since 1992 in the internet web 1.0 and web 2.0 being samsung's ceo of their first uh convergence device which was later named a smart 99 uh, but now technology is more than just a, a part of it is sports entertainment and uh, real-time technologies are essential whether it's statistics whether it's streaming whether it's visualization you know there there's absolutely no delay the very first what i call reality tv is now at the forefront with billions of people consuming it um and what has phoenix done in this space uh that impacts so many different things especially sports betting which is at the corner of sports no absolutely you, you hit it on the head i mean so what what makes us unique is um you know is a is a combination of of, of features or, or elements that we've built in our platform um it's not just that we stream uh, content end to end with less than half a second of, of latency, meaning signal in camera or camera to glass at half a second. And it's not just that we, we figured out how to scale that uh, to hundreds of thousands or millions of people while maintaining that same latency. And it's not just that we are able to synchronize those streams across all devices. So everybody is watching the content at the same time rather than at different times. And it's not just that we maintain the quality while doing all that. It's that we do all of that. And that's what kind of separates us from the very few companies that are able to stream in real time. Um, you know, they've, they've been able to solve a few of the pieces of the, of the puzzle. But, and, and the hardest piece um, is scale while maintaining that real-time latency. It's it, being able to drop your latency down to sub-second or sub-half-second um, is difficult enough, but being able to maintain that while you're streaming to a half a million or million or 10 million people ultimately uh, is where we is where we differ. And that's what, um, you know, and that's what makes us unique. 
So I have a question, Jade. You obviously didn't start off in streaming. Is it? Did you start off at Sony? Is that correct? Me? me? Yeah. Oh, I'm a musician by trade. So I started oh. off banging the drums to uh, to wherever I can and worked in a lot of recording studios and studied music in college. And then uh, I realized after a couple of years of doing that, that I, I, I wasn't going to have a life. <laughs> so, so how um, did you get into, because it's such an interesting platform, but it's not your background. So what made you make the pivot? And then you said you're a musician. So this is crazy. So how did you, <laughs> what made you make, it's amazing. Well, you what know, I got, I, I got into technology pretty early on. Um, right. So I, I hooked up with a company in, in the early 2000s that was involved in mobile. And this is, you know, the early days of mobile websites and ringtones and things of that nature. So, um, you know, the, the, from a from a sales and marketing person, which is really what I am, um, you know, I, I, I guess I had enough vision to see that technology was was um, was was making or helping us make decisions that we didn't think we we would need to make or want to make, but had to make. So, okay. you know, I was kind of involved in, in the mobile space for a while. And then I started a company called Mimo, which was essentially in the metaverse, but nobody knew that's what it was called then. We were dealing in <laughs> avatars and virtual worlds and, you know, virtual goods. And we that's what we did. We, we created branded virtual goods for the Xbox avatar marketplace and PlayStation and Haba Hotel and, and Second Life and all of the different worlds that were out there. Um, and then we pivoted to, to emojis and stickers and, you know, branded emojis. We sold the company. Uh, and then I got into sort of the OTT space. So it was kind of a progression over the years that got me deeper and deeper into technology. And then it was just, you know, uh, a friend who um, was a friend of one of the investors in Phoenix who reached out to me and said, you know, you should speak to these guys. They've got some game changing technology. That's awesome. And that game changing technology impacts not only gambling because of the lack of latency, which provides more opportunities and verification and gambling and more polling even as well, uh, which is a big part of sports, being able to vote on things beyond just gambling on them and tracking data and statistics with fantasy as well. Um, but the multi-cam feature also is a great marketing tool. And you do have a great marketing background after your music background. Uh, working for some of you know the the bigger companies in the world, and you guys streamed uh, the Super Bowl for Verizon, uh, which is one of the most marketed events in the world, uh, and continues to grow, and the prices continue to go up. Why is the multicam feature so important to advertisers and marketers and sponsorship? Well, you know, I think David, it's 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 sort of part of the umbrella of of interactivity and and the sort of buzzword of gamification, and I think that you know, real time streaming may not be for every use case. We certainly understand that, um, but I think that wherever there's the opportunity to um, integrate any form of interactivity, whether that be polling, quizzes, trivia, chat. Um, multi-camera, watch-together parties, all those types of things. Well, then, you know, not only does the latency have an effect, but but there's another term that's known as drift, meaning the time between users and what they watch. So if the three of us watch the Super Bowl on the same platform, 
we would have been watching it at three different times. David might have been 20 seconds. Mike, you might have been 40 seconds behind the field. And we, and by the way, we measure by field to play, not cable or broadcast. And I might have been 50 seconds. So if we're trying to interact and chat with each other, well, Mike might send me a tweet or might send me a text. Wow, that was a great catch by Cooper Cup. And I hadn't yet seen it. So, you know, it's that sort of spoiler effect. But it's so wait, it's so good to your kids when you look like a genius and you're like, hey, watch this next day is gonna be a halfback pass. And you're like, That's what? Right. That's right. Wait, you saw that? That's amazing. <laughs> holy holy cow. Yeah. Um, so I think it's all of those things. And and then of course, you know, you touched upon the holy grail of interactivity, and that is betting. So it's it's you know, what we're trying to do in the betting space is kind of take the current bet and watch model where you typically betters bet on data. So you get the data and then you go and watch whatever it is that you just bet on, on a TV or somewhere else, you know, because that's where you get your visuals, your pictures from. But because we can stream in real time and synchronize the video with the data, <clears throat> we're trying to reverse the bet and watch and change it to a watch and bet. So now you <clears throat> excuse me sorry guys now you can go directly to a sports book and you can watch the game or watch a race or whatever it is that you're watching and bet on every single play in that um so it's that micro betting while you're watching the game um well, is what's going to kind of take i think that's the next level you can micro bet now on the data in certain cases and in certain apps but i'm talking about watching the game betting on the game continuously without having to leave the app um, all in one place. And I think that that's kind of the next, the next step in in this, in this funnel. Wow. And, and I mean, is there, any, this is going to sound funny. So does it ever get dodgy? Cause Dave made me think of something like me betting against him. I've got a better stream than he has and he's behind. And I'm like, well, hey, that's, dude, you know, I'm that's the this. thing. I'm picking this. No, you make, Mike, you make a great point. I mean, right now you can't do that because they have to cut the, the, the betting off at a certain point <laughs> or you get what's known as court siding, right? I mean, yeah. the term is, is known as court siding. I mean, it's literally like, you know, you're sitting on a court and you see the play and I call my friend because he sees it 60 seconds later and says, holy shit, you know, go bet on that because you're going to get, you're going to win. Um, they can't, you can't do that because uh, of that, of that exact issue. So that you so you have to cut the betting window off. But if we give sports books the opportunity to just keep going, the amount of, I mean, here's a great example. I mean, the bills chiefs game a couple of weeks ago, had something like 25 points scored in like the last two minutes, I think it was. Yeah. Imagine if you were on your, you know, DraftKings or FanDuel or point, whatever app you were on, and you're watching the game, and you're, you're friggin' watching this thing, and they're scoring touchdowns on every play, and you can bet on every single one. The amount of handle, the amount of money that would be generated is just, it's it mind-boggling. Insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what we're going to get. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just in that re-betting, I used to call it in the early, early days, runner pass betting. Could you imagine being able to bet? It's going to be a run or a pass, uh, a yeah. strike or a ball, or right. a home run or a strike. And it just gives so much more interactive uh, 
engagement. Uh, well, in- you just hit it. And think about how much longer you'd spend with the game. If, if, if you're watching a football game and it's 35 nothing, well, you know, you might leave because it's a blowout. But if you can bet on the net, you know, will Patrick Mahomes throw a touchdown on the next play, yeah. you know, while you're watching it, I mean, that keeps you engaged. So now yeah. it's, it builds advertising revenue, it builds sponsorship, I and mean, because you got eyeballs that are watching it all the way through. And you and you have the aggregate of betting. So one of the things that you know the casinos love about it, the bookmakers love about it, is that there's these micro bets all day long that add up. And the more oh, yeah. statistically, the more people bet, the more they lose. Uh, it's a matter of statistics. That's right. If you make a hundred one dollar bet, <laughs> and they just keep coming back for more. <laughs> exactly. They may not even feel it. Where a guy's going to feel if he bets a hundred on win or loss instead of a hundred interactive. Bets. He, like he has a better statistical chance of winning the $100 on $100 bet than $100 bets. And yeah. uh, statistically, because it's going to hold truer to no, the odds. You're, right? you're 100% right. And then, the, you know, and then, okay, so then the, so the next level of it is peer-to-peer betting, um, which to some extent happens in the UK, right? So not only would the three of us bet, you know, ag- you know against, you know, on the, on the FanDuel book, or, you know, whatever sports book we bet against, but now the three of us could bet against each other. I could say to Mike, you know what? No way, man. Patrick Mahomes is going to throw a touchdown on the next pass. What do you think? And you say, no way. I'll bet you two bucks. I'll bet you five bucks, whatever. <laughs> and you just and you just start talking trash to your friends and you throw five yeah. bucks out there and you do this. And before you know it, you know, you're all over the place. <laughs> I, I got a great story. Is you have a couple of minutes. So I got to tell you this. So I'm in Palm Springs one night and I walk by a bar where everyone's drinking, all my friends, right? And I look on the TV and they have the Laker replay. And this was a huge comeback. One of those games where like literally in the last nine seconds, there's an 11 point swing. And right, like something, one of these ridiculous games. Yeah. So anyway, I've been drinking. So we walk past TV and, you know, uh, I I had already known that the replay was on. I already known the Lakers had won. Come back. So I hit my buddy. I'm like, dude, hundred bucks. And you look at the TV and they're down like whatever. I go, hundred bucks. The Lakers win this one. Be ten to one odds. He's all, you gotta be kidding me. I go, nope. Here's the hundred right here. He goes, no problem. Right. Well, it was such an amazing comeback that I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching it, knowing who won. I, and he's I like, who won, <laughs> and I was drinking, thinking, shit. Wrong. What if that was like yesterday's? Because I couldn't believe that, even though I'm watching it, that they actually came back. But thank goodness it did. And I just Easy laughing. money. <laughs> you scammed your friend, Melzi. Wow. A, I gotta I tell, I'm betting against you. I'm telling you that. I totally, exactly. I'm a nightmare. But I do do that because we have different carriers. I, I have, you know, my, my living room and outdoor living room, which Mike has been in, has five TVs. Some yeah. have cable, so, some have direct TV. And they're a little and off. I stream. And I stream, so I will catch something off. on my son and tell him, oh, watch this pick six coming up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, we, we saw it with the Super Bowl. Every every so broadcaster good. was a little off, and all the satellite providers was a little off, and um, it's just not consistent. You know, it's not That's consistent. That's why my front row seats were so good for the Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly right. Time. I got it real time. Exactly. Nobody real time. Real time. That's great right. experience in my life. Well, we appreciate you so much. So it good. is the future of sports. And I, I love the fact that it is future. And Jed, your transition in technology has been extraordinary and the impact you're going to have uh, and are having right now. Incredible. People can reach them, phoenixrts.com. Changing 
the face of sports, Phoenix real-time solutions. The more real-time that we have, the better in sports, that's for sure. Thanks for joining us. You got it, guys. Thank you so much. Bye, Jed. Great, great wisdom, man. Thank you. That was awesome. That's so funny. I've never betting against you. You, 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 you've got like nine different streams going. Oh, just it's a micro bet. I swear it's nothing. And you're like, what are you doing? You knew <laughs> six I'm weeks ago. Scamming miles out of his allowance. <laughs> <laughs> so good. He's got to go to money. You shouldn't be betting me. Exactly. What's gambling the bigger, lesson. What's the bigger lesson here, Miles? It, Your dad's a fraud. Him not to gamble. Exactly. Your dad's a fraud, but. You shouldn't gamble. <laughs> Back to intention. My intention is good, son. My intention <laughs> is good. <laughs> that is so good. Matt's panicking uh, in the back because we don't have our next guest. So let's go uh, ahead. How about, okay. a, a take, how about a takeaway of the day? So, Man, I'm all about this has been attention. It's so good. But you taught me a really good lesson, and so did he. Like, if you go down. All right. So someone oh, wait, got upset on. with me. Wait, wait, save it. Save it. All right. All right. Here. Cool. Okay. Not it will make it work. Here he is. He What's up, guys? What's up, I like friend? Like, ah, he's he's hey, he's I love that. in the back. He's streaming you, in the back. You perfectly came in because we were talking about visual latency with the king of real-time sports, how certain things are delayed and not. So we'll just pretend like yours was delayed, and uh, you're now joining us at real-time thanks to – our last guest who has brought us back up to speed with Phoenix RTS, the Phoenix guys. So president and CEO of Accelerated Intelligence. That's my nickname, Accelerated Intelligence, excelarrow.com. Uh, Shaheen, welcome to the office hours. How are you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How about you? Amazing. Good. And I want to talk about your book, Billion, How I Became the King of Bill Pill cult. Mm. So that obviously begs the question, what is the thrill pill cult? That's a great question. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But the fact is this. I started a company when I was very young. I left home when I was 15, went out there to seek my fame and fortune. And I invented this party pill uh, called Herbal Ecstasy. And oh my it God. Became, I totally know it. Totally you know, know. <laughs> and it became a global phenomenon. Uh, by the time I was around 18, we broke a billion dollars in revenue globally. Well documented. You guys can Google it. Um, and I was a kid um, six months before living in abandoned cars, abandoned buildings, trying to figure out, you know, where I was going to get my next meal, usually from, um, community college or whatever to running a billion dollar company with 200 employees all over the world. And that is my friends, what we call the throw pill cult. All right. Uh, hold on. Amazing. You're, 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 that's incredible. I don't know what you, you're probably sipping on some crazy concoction now. So you basically come up with a formula. I remember the pill. You come up with a yeah. formula. How do you distribute it? How'd you get the money to come up with a formula? Because then, then you scale it to make a billion dollars. Like that's crazy. I remember the pill. I remember the pill so well. So how did, how did you come up with it and how'd you scale it? Yeah. Super, super. So that's really interesting. You know, um, the way I did it was that I had no formal education. Remember I had a grade school education, but what I did have was grit. 
we came to this country, to the United States from Iran. I was born in Iran. And coming here, I quickly learned that the reason why you go to school here in this country is to get your ass kicked every single day, or at least it was for me. And that led me to have a certain level of thick skin and stick to uh, ability to not quit no matter how bad things got. And I just remember walking up to people inside the clubs, like legitimate drug dealers, and trying to sell them my herbal concoction and just having them say all kinds of things. Fuck off. We're going to kill you. We'll do this. We'll do that. And me just saying, okay, are you going to buy my stuff now? Are you going to buy it now? And until they actually ended up buying it and distributing it. So my product started being distributed through this distribution channel of thousands and thousands of drug dealers that were out of real drugs. Why? I was in the right place at the right time. How? Well, the supply of ecstasy had dried up. Most of it was coming, the most popular party drug of the 1980s and 1990s. Uh, still today. And the supply was coming from England and Holland. And it yep. had completely dried up with the whole Reaganomic, just say no to drugs, whatever. They really clamped down on it. And there wasn't much production here in the United States. So you've got all these small-time drug dealers hanging around with nothing to sell. I saw an opportunity and I walked up to him and I said, Hey guys, let's get you legitimized. Like, you know, that scene in uh, Godfather three where the mob is like legitimizing all their businesses and they're, they're making a company with the Pope Societa Immobiliare, it was called, and they're going to, everything's going to be whitewashed and clean. Well, we did that with the drug dealers starting off in Southern California and then branched out across the world. And then pretty soon Larry Flint, uh, the publisher of Hustler Magazine was like, guys, I can give you millions if you let me sell this into all the sex shops. So we let him sell it into all the sex stores, the adult stores. Um, at the same time, uh, a pharma company that I, my attorneys tell me I should not mention anymore was coming out with a little blue pill. And now this blue pill um, was their answer to the other pill that they came out with in the 1980s for depression, uh, 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 selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which I'm also not supposed to mention. And all the people who took that to not all the baby boomers who took that now had the problem of their, you know, uh, erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunction. But don't worry, this big pharma company had the answer in this beautiful little blue pill. But what they didn't anticipate was this teenage Iranian kid with no regulation coming up with a formula literally in a kitchen somewhere in uh, in in Hollywood in my in my girlfriend's kitchen where I was staying at the time and uh, doing over a billion dollars in business. So what they did is they lobbied Congress. They the president put a, a guy ahead of the FDA, this guy, uh, David Kessler, who was appointed by the president to head the FDA. And one of his main directives was to shut me down because pharma was, was, was angry at us. And this led to huge press. I was on Nightline with Sam Donaldson. I flew out to do Montel Williams. We did all the big shows. But what happened was, Whenever the government comes out and goes, hey, this could be dangerous, you know what people on the other side are hearing? They're hearing, this shit might Yummy. actually work. Yeah, let's take it. Let's take it. This shit might actually work. Let me get some of this. So it was free advertising. Every time oh, we do one of these shows, I'd make a million bucks. So I had T-shirts. This is 
before the internet. I know for younger people, that's hard to imagine, but this was before <laughs> internet, before smartphones, before social media, I printed up t-shirts with our 800 number on them. And I would wear a sweater onto the show. And the second the show went on, I knew they were going to, they all ended up completely sabotaging me, trying to, uh, 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 what do you call it? When a dude's waiting in the bushes to jump you. Well, ambush. Ambush me. Ambush. Thank you. So they were all, it was, every show was an ambush, but I knew it. And I would show up and I'd let them start their process. And then I'd slowly remove my sweater. The host wouldn't know. And the 800 number would be on there and the phones would start ringing like crazy. And they would have an FDA guy with a stuffy suit and he'd be like, this stuff could be dangerous. It could kill you. And phones are ringing. It's like, all I'm hearing is cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And uh, yeah, this is, this is me. Back in the, this is from the book. For anybody who's interested, I've got, uh, the book is out now. We just got a film deal. It's going to be a series uh, and possibly a feature coming up. It's called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. It's available on Amazon. <laughs> So please make sure to check that out. Yeah. I had to ask one: How many lawsuits have you gone through? Because you're out of oh, your mind in a good way. <laughs> lawsuits became the new playground fight. And here, here's the thing: here's the interesting thing. Most people who are not business people think lawsuits are bad, and they don't understand right. that it's just a, a step in the evolution. It's like your bar mitzvah. It's like the step in the evolution. I remember I had a buddy of mine who was totally destroyed and he called me and he was in a fairly conservative business he's a conservative guy and he got two lawsuits and he called me and i just said and he he told me this whole thing and i i, I paused for a second and he goes well and i said congratulations buddy you know we cut the foreskin off that's good out of your mind i love you you're so i was crazy yeah, I, I, I got to tell you that I love that because when I was a millionaire, money, I was helping out some other young kids, like mentoring them in entrepreneurship. And, you know, back then they sent me some bullshit NDA. So when I'm 30, I end up being CEO of Samsung's phone division, you know, and we have the world's first convergence device. And supposedly one of these kids, now you, you understand, I developed the world's first smartphone. It was a Windows C operating system. Samsung developed the heart. I mean, these are major wow. millions of dollars in there. Anyway, yeah. these little shits, they, <laughs> right, or breaching their NDA because they say that I stole their intellectual property to create the world's first smartphone. I had nothing to do with it. Like, I was the CEO. They hired me after it was already developed, right? Anyway, yeah. just because you're right doesn't mean you can't sue someone. Right. And I don't know any of this because I'm just 30 years old. I'm a multimillionaire. So I call my dad panic. Right. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, literally, I, I can't believe I'm being sued. Dad, what do I do? He's like, hey, congratulations. I was like, why? Now, his why was different than yours. It wasn't the foreskin comment, which would have been applicable to my family since my brother's a rabbi. But uh, he said to me, congratulations. You're finally worth enough that someone gives a damn. There you go. <laughs> I love that. And it's true. I, I love it. Oh, that's true. Speaking, speaking oh of which, you, you know, you've gone from oh. the thrill pill, which, you know, I don't know how I missed it because I would have bought that sucker for sure. And then boxes. Uh, you know, I was too busy in New Orleans probably doing the real stuff. And then anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> there's no I was doing too much coke back then. So sorry. I, I took those pills and went, 
They don't know. They, they're herbal. I need some real stuff. <laughs> You're trying to snort them. And then, uh, I'm not trying to be healthy. <laughs> how about Cheyenne? The digital vaporization uh, system as well. And now we're YouTube creator and you know helping people crush it on Amazon. Question, you know, you like any other great entrepreneur, not everything that you touched succeeded. And I'm sure you had plenty of lessons, we call them, along the way. Have you been able to uh, maintain some portion of your wealth through all three of these ventures? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not completely dumb. Uh, I, I realized early on that I was very, no, definitely not like you, but, uh, 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 and by that, I mean, I, I, I am sure you've, 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 you've done very well for yourself as well. Um, I lost it years ago. I, I luckily I made it back. <laughs> it's okay. As long as you can make it back. And I tell people this all the time. One of the top qualities of millionaires, billionaires, people that I know that I hang out with and. Any of these guys who I hang out with, high-level guys, when we sit around and we talk and I ask them a question, I ask them one question, I say, hey, if I took everything you had, the planes, the boats, the, the wives, the girls, all that stuff, the cars, and I dropped you somewhere with just the clothes in your back and I gave you a year, where would you be in a year? And almost without exception, they would say, I would be close to where I'm at now. Yeah, I would exactly. be a millionaire again. Because... When you have that ability, you have that tool, you understand what your superpower is and how to leverage it. For me, it's being able to tell great stories and to influence people uh, through those stories um, and to have that power of influence. For other people, it could be something else. But once you learn what that superpower is, Nobody could take that away from you. And that's what I teach now to people on the Amazon platform, how you utilize the power of influence, how you use authority, scarcity, what, what Caldini calls the five pillars of influence, likability, um, all these elements that we know now from a scientific standpoint, convert people to whatever it is that you're selling. And, and that's the fact, you know, when you look at these guys, guys that are great, if you think you took a guy like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, you took away all the shit that they have, everything, and you dropped them somewhere and came back in a year, those guys would be millionaires again, billionaires yeah. again, yeah. without a doubt, Agreed. I would not bet against them. So what is Agreed. it, you know, what is it in, uh, in his book, the success formula, um, uh, Professor Barabasi talks about this and he talks about what the, what the formula is. So this guy is a, a professor, uh, I believe a Portuguese professor, and he's done this whole series of studies on what the difference is between people that are hugely successful and the people that don't succeed. And it and really, yeah. So it comes down to two things for him. Um, one is performance and in the absence of performance network. So the key okay. is being able to influence people, bringing people onto your network, bringing people onto your world, bringing people on to give you the things that you want. Yeah, I think we lost. Uh, no, that's all right. I was going to ask you a question. So because you're yeah. such an influencer, do you believe, because I believe there's two types of people. There's the boss that's a delegator. Then there's the lead, leader that's the tour guide. And I think to influence, you have to be a tour guide. You have to be the guy that shows people. And you're a guy that shows people. So do you believe that's also the separating factor that you have to take that massive action? And if you don't take that action, it doesn't matter how good you talk, 
there's, you're never going to reach that level. Yeah, that's like, uh, what is it, uh, Anthony Robbins, uh, he got it from Richard Bandler and NLP, the ultimate success secret, right? Find out what you want and why you want it, um, and then uh, take massive action, and then yeah. adjust until you get what you want. Adjust your approach exactly until, yeah. Yeah. I I don't believe so much in hustle culture. I believe much more in leverage. So some of that leans towards hustle culture. All these guys who rise and grind, get up and, you know, I don't really believe in that. I don't believe. So stop for one second. I like that. So when you say leverage, do you mean leverage your contacts, leverage your network, or put yourself in a position where you can leverage just everything around you and use your six degrees of separation? Uh, I believe in using fulcrum's lever. I believe in, in okay. using three ounces of pressure to yep. receive 10 pounds of pressure. Yeah, I, I believe in in eighty twenty as as Richard Koch says twenty percent of twenty <clears> percent <throat> of what you do brings about eighty percent of your results. So let's focus on that twenty percent. And for most yeah, so people, they don't need to work harder. That's usually not the problem. They need to work smarter and more efficiently. And if you can apply that to the concept of building network. You don't have to go out there and shake hands and pass out business cards and you know kiss cheeks all over the place. You just need to find a few people that can help you get where you need to go. Yeah, Pareto's law, 80-20. We're going to jump on to the next guest. I'm going to actually find you online. I really like you. We're going to connect because I have a podcast called A Dose of Positivity that I want you to come on because you're such a dose in, in oxytocin, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine. No, I really, Dave fell off. I don't know where he went. Our next guest is going to come on, but we'll connect. Uh, where can they find you online? Yeah, thanks for asking. So, so guys, we also have a, a podcast. So if anybody's interested, you can find me on, on our YouTube channel or on uh, anywhere podcasts are found. It's under Hack and Grow Rich. You can also get me directly. If you guys are interested in creating recurring revenue streams on the Amazon platform, just email me directly. It is darkzess at gmail.com. I'm going to share this. We'll put that D- in there. And we'll, yeah. put that in, we'll put that in the show link. Don't worry. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. For anybody that Thanks. wants to. And I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. <laughs> so awesome, man. It was a, you're a blessing. <laughs> it was really awesome. Have a great day, bro. I'll be in touch. You too, man. Thank you so much. Bye, buddy. Okay. Our next guest. Where is Dave? Jonathan. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, Mike. Good to see you. You too. I don't know where Dave went. Um, he just he'll, he'll jump on in a sec. I hope I'm just texting. He might. Usually, I'm the one with the bad service. Here he, no, <laughs> he He's having some technical difficulties, so just we'll we'll try to get him back on. But Mike, feel free to just run it. Okay, no problem. So, Jonathan, um, let's get. You want to ask a question before we ask that? Tell us a little bit about yourself, buddy. Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. So, uh, yeah, I'm a three-time three-time founder, uh, startup fanatic. Um, I my most current uh, venture is a state space. Uh, we're a uh, SaaS platform tech company, and we focus on helping people simplify estate management. So, uh, coming from ultra high net worth, really solving complex problems, and, and being able to ultimately break the mold of uh, breakdowns of in communication and and really being able to streamline activities uh, with with secure transparency for families. Awesome. So, do you have a question, or do you want to promote something? You, if you have a question, shoot. No, I do have a question. I think it's a great segue from uh, your previous guest and 
ultimately one of the, the, the biggest things that we are working to solve for, I think is kind of at the heart of my question. And that's ultimately Mike, you know, what can we collectively do to help families with legacy succession and ultimately prevent the pitfalls of some of the complex family settlements that end up leading to a fallout, fallout or maybe even worse yet, like a divorce over assets? Oh, my God. That is such a great question because I deal with that 24-7. So the biggest thing that I have found, which, which, which gets the biggest conflict, and, and it's going back to something someone said about intention. And the, what gets in the line and the crossing line of people's intention are their needs and their wants. Now, a need is not a want. Okay, so when, when, I, when I'm dealing with someone who's struggling with this in their addiction space and, they, and they're fighting over like a will or an estate or something, right. I go, what do you need? And they're like, well, I need, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You may want something. So for example, someone may buy a BMW, right? And I go, do you need the BMW or do you need transport? That's two different things. Yep. So if we don't have our needs and wants like lined up correctly, and we're overextended on our wants, right? Mm -hmm. Then I'm always looking for you for something and my intention isn't clear and it's not good, right? Mm -hmm. And that messes up my values and my rules. So I think we've got to look, I've got to look at myself like you've got to look at yourself, right? Whenever there is friction and there's no rapport. So what I do is instead of worrying about what you want and need in a, in a negative way, I try to look at myself and say, how can I get a win-win? Right. You know, how can I close the gap? How can I figure out, forget me for a second, what do you really want and what do you need? Because your needs and wants may be different away, and you may actually need and want something more than me. Right. And, I, and in that, yeah, go, sorry, you go. I was going to say, Mike, because I mean, I think the, the key word there is friction, right? Like how can I reduce friction between members of, of that family, right? I mean, that's- Absolutely. And because when we're thinking about it, we're fighting over someone else's money. Yeah, right. I was dealing with it. Fighting over words on paper, right? Right. And I was dealing with a very similar situation. And me and my siblings get along great now. And it was just, it wasn't they were wrong or I were wrong, but there was a different, there was perception. Perception is different. And sometimes you see it one way and I see it another. But if I can step into second person, which is you, and really look at how you're viewing the world, and then I can step into third person and maybe go, okay, you see it that way. I see it this way. But why aren't we seeing it together? Mm -hmm. And I think the power of stepping back and looking at it as a whole, a whole thing, we can then make rational decisions. And you know what? Sometimes I may have to bite the bullet and take, take less than someone else. But in the end, if I really value you as a human being and relationship, that's what we really should be looking at. Because at the end of the day, none of it comes with us, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just, it's just things. Yeah. And, and when you really think about what we're fighting over, like you said, it's just material things. So I think if for me, it's building rapport with that person, understanding a win-win situation, not win-lose or lose-win, right? And if I'm dealing with someone that, because some people are unreasonable. Some people are very unreasonable. Their, their perception is off. They do. Some people just are, and, and, that, and it's not their fault. It comes from scarcity. It comes from fear. Do you know what I'm saying? If someone's driven out of survival and fear and scarcity, they can't look at your needs and wants and say, well, maybe he needs this. Do you know what I mean? But if I can come back to myself, because at the end of the day, I can't change you and you can't change me. And I can say, okay, deep down, 
how bad because look you and i know it's always a battle on each end yeah and it's tiring and it becomes bitter right and yeah. then you get to a point where you're like why am i doing this so it, it's finding that it's trying to find that solution where you can say let's just meet somewhere in the middle take our time on this figure out what your values and rules are figure out what your purpose is your intention and wants and then hand it over and then step outside the results yeah i think ultimately when you when i you know i look back on a lot of the use cases and the experiences that i i went through uh, personally and professionally you know the, the costs are far greater than just financial um and i think you know at, at the heart of what you know we ultimately uh, the state space have, have really focused on is solving for those nine-year battles that set, that end up you know settling finally but costing fortunes that most would never even have the chance of making and then ultimately you know lead, leading to a, a divorce of family members and it's just you know i think it's 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 preventable right like financial assets they flow down pretty easily but it's all the real property things that um carry with them again the the the, the emotions um and, and a lifetime of history so and I think uh, I, I appreciate your answer because it, it, I think it, it well, I, I know that I can reflect on what you just shared here today to be able to kind of guide the continued development of, of where we're ultimately heading. Because I think, you know, that's your insights are spot on. Like, Well, you just nailed it as well. Like at the end of the day, people just think it's money. It's not money. It's time. It's emotion. And what it does is it lingers. Like I could tell you this right now. Right. And I tell people this. You could go through your social media all day and see one negative comment, right? And a thousand positive. You're going to focus on the negative and figure out why. So if you surround yourself with that kind of energy all day, right? And it's fighting and it's emails and it's lawyers and this, you've carried that energy in your brain and you're not going to attract good things into your life because like attracts like, because you're already going to be putting out this friction and tension and people are going to feel it because energy is contagious, right? So right. then the rest of your life is affected by that moment of what you, because every time you have a fight, there's a ripple effect. It compounds. It makes you fight onto the next person. So it's like you said, it's like if you can step back from that and go, okay, is it really worth it in the end? And I don't think people play the long game. No. You know what I'm saying? You're like, okay, this is short game, but what's the long game? What if you're in court for nine years, like you say? How much are you going to pay your lawyers over the nine years? You're fighting over money. You may end up, you may end up with nothing in the end. Right. Instead of saying, I'll settle for a little bit. I'll shake your hand. That's and you know what? At the end of the day, it's the hardest thing to do. And I've learned to do it. It's so hard. Is if I'm empathetic and compassionate and go, what? You may need it more than me. You know what? I'll get it on the next one. Yeah. Walk away. Sometimes you've got to walk away. Sometimes you've got to shake hands and say, you know what? Leave it live for another day. Yeah, I mean, I think getting to simple is one of the hardest things to do. And and what you said was so simple, right? But it's it's one of the hardest things for people to do. So uh, definitely appreciate the advice and insights, Mike. Awesome, brother. Well, I, I, I we're going to jump off because Dave's going to use this. Thank you so much for coming on. I know Dave's going to have you back on again because okay. he'll want to like see you and you'll have another question. I so apologize. No, he's no worries. Never, he's never dropped on me like this, and he's got to see me because. Well, uh, uh, you did a fine job carrying us, Mike. I appreciate uh, it. Thank you, brother, and I'll, I'll be in touch. You're awesome. Awesome. Have Cheers. a great one, man. Bye. Bye. So I don't know where Melsa went, but he disappeared on me. But I will be seeing him in Friday. We'll be shooting season two of Office Hours, uh, the syndicated version on Bloomberg TV. 
on behalf of myself and Dave, who somehow disappeared, I'm going to leave you with this note, um, all about intention. And, you know, always understand the risk and reward of anything you do. Your intention may be good and it may be honest, but then you create something and you put it out there in the world. And then halfway through, you might realize, oh, wow, I didn't intend to hurt people. I didn't intend to do this. So you have to come back to yourself, take responsibility and accountability. And if you're too deep in and can't walk away, then find something that can balance that maybe you've created that maybe is causing a little harm you didn't know, okay? If you can find that balance and your intention is good, then you know what? The law of karma, cause and effect, and you'll reap what you sow, you'll be okay. I'm Mike Diamond. This has been another incredible episode of Office Hours. Make sure you check out Dave on all these million platforms. Check out Office Hours tomorrow and Friday, and we will see you guys from Vegas. We're out of here.